0: with Georges Larac. Thanks so much for joining us on Perform.
1: Thanks for having me, brother.
0: So, I've watched your NHL career. I've watched your fights. I've watched you get down. Tell us a little bit about, you know, one of the biggest fights you had and how it, you know, how it went down. Give us some insight on that.
1: Well, you know, it's tough to say which one was the biggest because all the heavyweights that you fight, they're all pretty much, they're all big fights, right? Mm-hmm. Guys like Derek Bougard that passed away, may me rest in peace. He was 6'8", like two, 280. So guys that had big reach that were really heavy, were really big, it was always a, a tougher challenge to mm-hmm. face guy like this. But again, all those heavyweight guys all punched hard. So um, yeah, you, you, you look at the stats to see how big the guy is, to see, if he's going to have a reach advantage of how you have to approach it. But still, um, I, I would say that it's, it, it's, it'd be tough to put him in order, but mm-hmm. there's at least 20, 20 guys that I knew every time we went at it, it was a battle. Mm. Was there one
0: guy where, you know, you went at it and maybe he like shook you up a bit, like you didn't expect him to be so intense?
1: Well, I expect everybody to be intense, like, because all the guys, Brezhnev, Probert, Bugard, uh, Domi, um, Grimson, McKenzie, like I I can honestly tell you at least 40 guys wow. that could say that that shook me up that, that that I felt it. You know, you feel it with everyone, right? Yeah. I know when you look at a fight, often people they look at the result, you finish on top of a guy, you're like, Oh, that was an easy one. Hmm. No fights are easy. Hmm. Because each time that you fight, it takes a toll on your body. You, all your muscles are crisping. And on the ice, when you hand up on the ice at the end of a fight, with the weight of somebody on top of you, when you're falling down, like hitting the ice after, it's, it makes it so complex because you could get hurt just in a takedown at the end of a fight. And it's not a mat like you have in a boxing mat you have on the ground. It's ice. It's like cement. So it's very dangerous and uh, it's tough. It's a tough this is the toughest job in professional sport, and I'm glad that today I'm, I'm okay, and uh, I didn't suffer from any consequence uh, with the job that I did over 13 years in the NHL.
0: Wow, wow. Who would you say, if you had to pick one player, who had the hardest
1: punch? I don't know, because uh, it's to, so hard to say. There's too many guys to only pick one. Yeah. They, they, all heavyweights all have killer punch, all of them. Yeah. So to say which one had the hardest... The only way I would know that is if I had a machine to measure them. Yeah. But other than that, to say which one, man, I don't know, because they all felt pretty hard to me. So I've never able to measure and I wish I never got any punch from anyone, but I did. Uh And, uh, but I don't know which one was the hardest.
0: How was it being in the NHL being black? You know, how was that? You know, was there a lot of sort of, you know, controversy? Give us some insight on that.
1: Well, when I was playing in minor hockey, there was a lot of controversy in terms of racism Mm. because I I played in a little village where I was the only black kid playing hockey. So I did suffer a lot of racism. And and we know hockey is known as a white man's sport. So when I was telling everyone I was going to play in the NHL, everybody was laughing at me. They said, it's never going to happen. But in the NHL, it's like the United Nations. You got players from all over the place, uh, Mm. from all different backgrounds. So there was never... You know, really racial issue in the NHL. So, you know, I I felt accepted, uh, even though hockey was still considered white man's sport, and there was not. There's not a lot of color people playing hockey, which I know that it's a fact, but doesn't change the fact that when I played for 13 years, other than one little incident that happened, I've always felt respected, Mm. and uh, I played a long career. And uh, you know, one time in Edmonton when we played, there was five black guys on the team, and. It's only when the media start talking about it that I noticed it because at the end of the day, when you play, you go into war with your teammates, you don't look at colors. The guy next to you wants to win and that's all that matters. And the origin of everyone, it's the last things in our priority.
0: Where did this toughness
1: come from? Like, was
0: it growing up, street fights? Give us some insight on where this like,
1: you know, came from. To be honest with you, I never thought I was going to be a fighter. Mm-hmm. When I was a kid, I was a goal scorer. I was the fastest and the best player. I was scoring tons of goals. And when I was in the NHL, I never thought I was going to fight. But when trivia hit me when I was 16 years old, I wasn't the fastest anymore and the most skilled one. Mm-hmm. And I knew if I wanted to play in the NHL, I had to mix it up too because a guy for my size, uh, I wasn't good enough skill-wise to make it. But I knew if I had fighting element in my game, I would have a better chance to make it to the NHL. So when I started playing junior hockey at 16 years old, that's when I started learning on my own how to fight on the ice because it's not the same thing as boxing. Mm. So then, uh, you know, I can give myself a chance to be drafted. And mm. that's what I did. So playing junior hockey, I started scoring and fighting too. Mm. And then with this style and, and doing better and better and doing good, I got drafted in the second round by the Hamilton Oilers where I played for uh, more than eight years.
0: Wow. Going into a fight with, like, say, Krober, right? Like, what would be the game plan going into somebody that size? Like, what are you thinking prior to that? You know, give us some insight on that.
1: Well, to fight a guy like Krober, the thing is, is, he's a legend. He's, yeah. he's probably the best fighter of all time that I've ever played in the NHL. And may he rest in peace too. Yeah. And when I when I was playing junior hockey, and then I knew I was going to do this job, he's the guy that I looked up to. I'm glad that when I fought him, uh, he wasn't in his prime anymore. He was towards the end of his career. Mm-hmm. So, because when you fight, you know that finding a guy that is older as to younger in his prime, it's much difficult. Mm-hmm. So, but it didn't change the fact that the game before knowing that you're playing him and it might happen. You don't know if it's going to happen. But the hardest part about fighting is not the fighting itself, in the anxiety, mm-hmm. the anxiety of not knowing if it's going to happen or not. The night before, you go to bed and you think about it, and then you can't go to sleep. Mm. You're sweating because you're so nervous. Uh, The day of the game, the afternoon nap before the game, after the morning skate, you're nervous. You're sweating. You can't eat. like You don't digest well because you're scared because you know that this could happen and this guy is a legend. Once you get into a fight, it's like a blur. You don't feel anything. The adrenaline kicks in, and then everything is fine. But the hardest part of a fight is always before. Mm-hmm. And that's why you're always glad that most of the guy when they fought in the NHL, it was always first shift right at the beginning of the game to get it over with. Mm-hmm. So you could play and you don't have to think about it anymore. Mm-hmm. That's why often you see this happening right at the beginning of the game because it's hard. Like all this told what it takes on your mind is the hardest part. And you, and you have this thing going in your mind, game in, game out, every game, every year. And that's why a lot of guys, unfortunately, uh, to break this mental aspect that was hurting them, the anxiety, uh, people, some people did it with alcohol, some people did it with drugs. So they don't have to think about it. That's all demanding fighting, uh, was for a lot of guys.
0: What advice can you give people out there who, you know, not only people who may be looking up to you that want to, you know, fight that are having these same thoughts, you know, where they're racing. What advice can you give people out there to stay mentally focused? Like, how did you get through these thoughts to actually get sleep? Was there something you did, whether it was meditation, some sort of tea, whatever? Can you give some people some insight on that?
1: Yeah. Okay, so there's a couple of things I did for that. And I know my method is not the same for everyone. You all have to choose your own. But I definitely need to find a, a method to, to find an ease. So I could ease up because I was going to go crazy because all the time those anxieties is not good for you so one of the things that I did a lot is yoga mm. because I was one actually I think one of the first guys uh first few guys in the NHL that did yoga regularly mm. to to find the calmness in the job that I was doing with the stress that I had all the time when I did that it got my body in, in a place that I needed to be before going to war another thing also that I did which is actually particular is I did tons of hospital visit when I was playing. Mm. And obviously I did that because kid was looking up to us. And, and the thing that when you see a kid that is suffering that sees, you know, a hockey player or his favorite hockey players, they don't think about their suffering anymore because you bring them energy. They're smiling, they're happy. And, and, you know, and, 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 and you bring, you can do stuff that medication cannot do. But another thing that this did when I did that, When I saw a kid fighting for his life at the hospital, of course, when I did those visits, sometimes I would have a game the next day and I might have to fight. So I had anxiety. But the more visit that I did, what I did is to calm me down. I would look at a kid that would rather fight on the ice than fighting for his own life in a hospital bed. So what that did, it got me to realize as hard as it was, the job that I was doing, the anxiety that I was suffering, I saw that. There's some people that would die to have the chance that I have. So, when I was on the ice and I was suffering from anxiety the day before, I would just think back about the hospital visit that I had seen that kid, telling that kid, you know, this next fight is going to be for you or something like that. And then it would calm me down, knowing that it would look me on, 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 on TV doing, doing my thing and he, would, he, he wished he wasn't my place. No fighting in the NHL on the ice in front of a million other than fighting for his own life or suffering in a hospital bed. Mm-hmm. So this rationalized thing that I did as a method that I was able to find. First mm-hmm. of all, to feel more like a human because uh, often sometimes when you fight, you know, people, they view you as an animal when you do the job and it kind of takes the human out of you when you're doing this. So that's why with the yoga, the charity work that I did and all this stuff, it made me more ground up about the job that I was doing, which was so hard. It gave me a calmness that I needed, and you know and, and it was much easier in the next coming year after knowing that I found ways to calm myself before going to war. Mm-hmm.
0: Tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. I know that you're into politics, there's a few things going on. Give us some insight for people who aren't familiar with what you're up to these days.
1: Well, I know if you see my website, com, you'll see tons of stuff that I do, but I'm on the radio every day on my own radio show. I'm on TV quite often to talk about all different uh, subjects that happen in, in, in the society uh, because I'm part of so many different movements. Uh, I do tons of charity work. Uh, I'm a businessman also. I own the, a lot of companies. Uh, I've been really successful at the end of my career because I've always been vocal. And, and the fact also that I'm vegan, so I support a lot of vegan industries. I'm a spokesperson for animals, for PETA, and I spread the vegan message all over the, uh, all around the world. I'm a, I'm a public speaker also. So I talk about, you know, motivational speech also because, you know, my parents were born in Haiti, right? So my role to the NHL was a hard role, but I give motivation to, to, to people and talk about my role to veganism because people are wondering how can a big black guy be vegan? What do you do for protein? All those questions, right? So there's so many things that I do now. I'm versatile style. I I do it all. And I'm so much energy. I also, believe it or not, I'm 275 pound. a marathon runner. Uh, I'm running my third marathon next year. I've run over a hundred half marathons and I've never seen an elephant running a marathon with me. I'm always the heaviest guy on the line when I do, but I do, I love doing hard challenges and stuff like this to always push myself. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, what I miss the most when I played hockey is always push myself to the hardest level. So running, competing, and you always running to, to break your time is something that I love doing, and it keeps me kind of in shape. So, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place. I I, I live at 100% because you never know uh, how much time we have left on, on this planet, and I try to, you know, mark everything off my bucket list, and uh, I feel fortunate where I am today and uh, try to experience everything, as much things as I can before... Uh, god's uh brings me to paradise
0: mm. was it a transition into vegan like right now i'm i'm off of the chicken and the beef right and i'm still holding on to the fish you know like i i can't seem to let it go did you go through something similar to that uh give us uh, some-
1: actually i saw hearthlings hearthlings uh it's uh the narration was done by walking phoenix it shows how animals suffered to end up in our plates, how bad it is for environment and for health. After I saw it, that was it, I cried. And I was like, I will never touch animal product ever again. And that's what I did, I did a cold turkey because I didn't want to support those industries anymore, destroy my health and the environment. Mm. I know everybody reacts differently when you see documentaries like this. Some people, like I'm a more sensitive person. I saw that, it changed my life. Even though I was a fighter, Mm-hmm. Uh, my last year in the NHL, I was vegan. So I was vegan in the NHL. And I was the first NHL player to be vegan and to spread the message because I don't care what other people thought or anything. It was just for me, it was wrong. So I saw a vegan nutritionist. She told me how I could replace the nutrients that I needed and the, the stuff that I could eat that I could do because I knew nothing about veganism. And, you know, a couple of years later, um, you know, I, I'm, I do vegan talks all around the world now, talking about it. I joined Vegan fast. I do vegan documentaries and I do tons of stuff to tell about my story to inspire other people that, that are wondering what it is or if it's hard or anything to tell them about it. And and everyone that tries it, that does it, uh, reaps huge benefit for the health perspective and obviously for the environment. It, there's an aspect too, but it's just that often people say, well, you know, I'm not going to suffer from it. This is for the future. But again, the future is our children, is our kid, what kind of legacy we want to leave them, right? So that's why it's important you know, to, to, to make decisions now that's going to be positive for the future for our kids of tomorrow or tomorrow that are our future. Mm. So uh, for all those reasons, I decided to do it. And, uh, but I recommend it for everyone to try it the right way. And I think that if you do it the right way, no one would ever look back.
0: Mm. Is there some vitamins that you're not getting eating vegan, like that you have to supplement? Can you give us some insight on that?
1: Yeah, there's actually one, uh, the B12. B12 is the uh, one of the vitamin that often a lot of people that are vegetarian or vegan they're lacking in their system mm-hmm. because the meat uh, and the milk the way B12 is produced it's hard to get it in food. Uh, I know you could buy soy milk that has in- injections of the B12 in it, but uh, I always recommend people to take B12 supplement to make sure that your body are not lacking B12 because you could die from it. Uh, if your body is l- lacking in it, so that's the only supplement that I, that I've been taking since 2009 when I decided to to be vegan to be on a safe side to make sure that my body is not lacking anything.
0: Mm. Can you give us kind of like a quick overview on like what your vegan sort of diet would look like in a day, like yeah. you know, just a, a rough understanding?
1: Well, right now, uh, my diet is kind of different because I'm in a process of losing more weight for my next marathon. So I've always, I've already lost 50 pounds wow. because my last marathon, I did it at over 300 pounds. Wow. So I was three hundred and twenty. So now I'm 270. I've lost 50 pounds in the last three months. Wow. And now I want to lose another 50 pounds. So what I do every day, I run 10 kilometers a day. On weekends, I run 20 kilometers. This is going to go up to about 120 kilometers a week uh, in in two weeks. So I do the 16 hour fast. So I only eat between 11 in the morning to seven at night, and that's it. So I run in the morning on an empty stomach. And then when I uh, run in the morning, I don't have anything, just have water. And after I'm done, I I wait till it's 11. Then 11, I I have a protein shake. I have a protein shake with fruits and water and a banana on it with two scoops of, of protein. And then that's it. And then at dinner, uh, it's always like a huge salad that I have with about 15 different vegetables in it. And then sometimes I'll put avocado, I'll put quinoa, wild rice, something like that. But that's pretty much it. Uh, I put uh, uh, also uh, pumpkin seeds in it because mm-hmm. it's pretty healthy. Sometimes I'll put walnuts in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, throughout the day, I might uh, have a snack of a couple pieces of fruit and something for energy uh, level, but that's it. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm way- I'm like since I want to lose weight, I don't eat that much. Uh, I'm really controlling everything because I want to ha- do my marathon sub four hours. And to do that, and, 250, and I want to go down to 240. So to do that, I really have to shut down even more weight. Because the more you lose, the better time that you do. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's my goal right now. So Mm -hmm. I tell you what I eat. uh, You probably won't enjoy it that much because I'm cutting down so much that I don't eat right now. Well, I enjoy what I'm having, but it's just that my stomach is shrinking more and more because I eat less and less. But again, I don't miss any. When I run every day, I don't lack any energy. Um, You know, I feel fine. I feel really good. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've never felt healthier. How many kilometers are you running every day? 10 kilometers. 10 kilometers every day. And on the weekend, I run 21 kilometers. But now, because my marathon is, because I've been running for six months now, my marathon is in one year. So now my coach is getting me to increase the load. So eventually it'll be like 15 kilometers every day and 30 kilometers on the weekend. And then there'll be more and more and more. And when I say 15 kilometers, it's the combining of intervals. So I run intervals during the week but the interval combining uh, heads up to 15, like 10 kilometers. Eventually I head up to 15 and on the weekend I do the long run, steady long run mm-hmm. and then, um, and then I work its way up to 42. So then I could have my best uh, marathon ever.
0: Wow. What are your thoughts? There's a lot of controversy regarding tofu and, you know, people saying, you know, Hey, you know what, I'm going to go vegan. I'm going to put in some tofu. I know you didn't mention it, but what are your thoughts?
1: No well, First of all, uh, the, the people always talk about the estrogen and tofu and how bad it is for you and how unhealthy it could be and how it could cause cancer. First of all, the amount of tofu you need to have so it could harm your body is an amount that is so high that you can eat all of it. It's mm-hmm. impossible. Just like meat, if you have too much of something, you're gonna be sick. Just like if you have too much tofu, it will be the same thing. And again, if you wanna compare the two, as that to somebody that eat tofu regularly as to meat regularly. Well, there's way more arms are having meat regular than tofu. And another thing too, I always tell people if you can is always eat organically. Mm-hmm. Like if you eat meat, you should eat organically. And if you have tofu, you should eat organically too. That also makes a huge difference. You don't want stuff that is modified chemically. You don't want stuff that is modified with uh, GMOs and all that stuff that is so unhealthy for you. So that's why it's like me, I have everything in moderation. And it's funny because I don't even eat tofu. The only time I eat tofu, actually, is when people invite me for dinner. Mm. Because other than that, at home, I don't eat tofu. I don't need stuff that is transformed. I don't need it. Mm. I eat plants, things based with plants and nuts and beans and, and all stuff like that. So, you know, I, I'm not the big tofu lover, but I could eat it. I marinate it and then you could slice it down, cut it and do spaghetti sauce with a bunch of stuff. But, yeah, I've never... Uh, I've never, we're, like, once you learn about it, you know, you're not afraid of it. But the meat industry are the one that were pushing the study so that people started to be afraid of tofu because people are eating less and less meat and more and more tofu. So they try to defend themselves, telling the people that, oh, well, you eating too much of that, it's bad. you need too much of that, it's bad. It's not, it's not. If you do the right research, you will see that, you know, if we're having tofu and we eat, like, we, we don't miss, we don't, and you, 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 we eat tons of vegetables, fruit or anything. We don't lack any nutrients. Our body feels good. Our blood levels are perfect. Our cholesterol is perfect. Everything is perfect. Mm. We're, we're the healthiest your body could be. Mm.
0: So I've been hearing a lot of things from different athletes about vision boards. What are your thoughts? You have a vision board?
1: Uh, my visual board uh, has always been my mind. Because you're right that there's some athletes that, that I have as a vision board. They, they look up into it every day and, and they, 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 to put the goal towards it. We often say that a vision board is where you put your energy. It's like your tunnel that this is where I'm going. You see something every day that you want to accomplish, That, that that's where you're going. That's where your mind, that's where your energy is going. Since I was a kid, my vision board has always been my mind. I was, I, I was determined that I was going to go in the NHL even though my parents didn't believe in me, didn't believe that I was going to go there, my friends, anyone. And me, I was like, no, I'm going there. I don't care what everybody says. This is where I was going. So my vision, was in, my vision board was in my mind. And it's crazy because years later, when I, I saw The Secret, and it talks about you know the, 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 the law of attraction, uh, what you shoot to the universe, what you think about, this is where you're going. I've been doing that since I was seven. It was self-thoughts. I was doing that—the law of attraction of a goal, you know, going towards somewhere without someone telling me about it. I knew that anything, any obstacle, like on my way, I had to push it aside and keep pursuing, keep pushing it. That's what I did, and it worked mm. because pretty much alone, I made it to the NHL, and I made all the right decision to make it there because I knew it was going to be hard, but I knew I'd be the only responsible for it if I success it or not. I wasn't going to blame it on my parents, even though they didn't believe in me, on my friends that didn't believe in me, or anything else. I was going to do it my way. And if I did it my way with all the images that I had, I knew I was going to succeed. And I did. And that was my biggest life, life mission that I've had ever since I was a kid.
0: Outside of the marathon, which we know is a really big uh, you know, deal for you coming up, tell us a little bit about some goals that you may have, or even one big goal. Um, over the next, say, one to five years. Do you have any of those right now?
1: Well, the, the two goals that I have ever since I was a kid is to play in the NHL and write my own autobiography. Because mm-hmm. when I was a kid, Jackie Robinson's autobiography is the book that helped me mm-hmm. pushing even harder to make it in the NHL because even though I was suffering a lot of racism, Jackie Robinson did too to become the first Black player to play baseball. So when I read his book, all the stuff that he went through as a kid, I was like, Oh my God, one day I got to write my own book so I can inspire other minorities to make it in whatever things that they want to make, but they have some obstacle, like they have to face racism. So one of my goals was, my, 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 my plan was like, make it to the NHL and write my own autobiography. So when I retired in 2010, I, owned, I wrote my own autobiography, "Josh Rock, The Story of the Unlikeliest Tough Guy. And uh, yeah, and it's a bestseller. I did it in French and in English because French is my first language. And uh, yeah, that was my two of the biggest life missions. So now that I've accomplished the biggest life mission that I wanted to do, now I just try to help all people because I feel fortunate that I played in the NHL for so long and I've been so successful that now I try to to thank back God for giving me the chance to be there by helping others. So that's why I do tons of charity work to help others, people that need help. After the tragedy happened in Haiti, uh, the earthquake happened because my parents were born in Haiti. I went back there, raised a million to rebuild the hospital that crashed. I'm a spokesperson for the Shriners Hospital. I do so many things with kids and hospitals and things like this. And every time charity means my help, they contact me and donate time, donate energy, donate items. Because I think it's important to, to show example that when you have a platform, that you could help uh, others, it's so important to do so. So you kind of create a chain. People that look up to you when you have success, eventually when they're going to have success, they're going to want to follow through and also be an example and help out in the society. So that's what I do now. I don't have more so a goal like I did when I was a kid to accomplish something that was crazy. So that's why the marathon is something that just to push myself because I like the pain. But other than that, it's not like a life goal like my book and the NHL was. Mm-hmm. But the fact that I could help all people uh, uh, on this earth and uh, be thankful of everything that I have because of the people, because the reason why I play hockey for a living is because of the fans, because of the people. Mm-hmm. So now I'm just giving back to the people what they give me right. by helping, you know, the society of tomorrow, by supporting children and kids that are going to be our leader one day. So that's mm-hmm. that's what I gravite g- myself towards and try to be a difference maker every day.
0: Perfect. Is there any questions you have for me or anything else you wanted to go over before we wrap up
1: today? You know, it's crazy because I think that life, the way life is, Hmm. uh, life is so perfect that, you know, every day we have answered to everything that we have, that we want, right? Like Hmm. there's nothing to worry about. And I know that right now with the the, crisis, like what we're going through and everything, you know, life is so good and, and it's a tough period that is just testing us right now but other than that it's important to be resilient stay happy staying positive because positive thing happens to positive people mm. and that's why like doesn't matter how hard of a time that we have always keep smiling because it'll draw positive energy around you oh wow
0: listen on that note Georges, thanks so much for coming on perform and you're an amazing guest uh, thank you thanks for having me that was, uh, that was awesome